is where everything begins, begins again. Welcome to the Mid the Pines podcast, a place where Grove City College alumni and faculty give voice to their unique stories, contributions, and accomplishments. Our community is blessed with many individuals who are often recognized for their proficiency, purpose, and principles, all celebrated hallmarks of the distinctive Grove City College education. Learn more about their God-given callings and the work they are undertaking for the common good. These are their personal and professional stories. Hello, this is Joni Baumgartner, and my guest today on the Mid the Pines podcast is Rusty Chadwick, class of 2004. He's the director of Windshape Teams, one of the five arms of the Windshape Foundation that was established in 1984 by Truett and Jeanette Cathy. Now, for some of you, those names might be pretty familiar as the founders of Chick-fil-A. So the overall goal of the Windshape Foundation is to create transformational, Christ-centered experiences for people in every stage of life. Rusty and his colleagues at Windshape Teams focus specifically on building and developing strong teams and excellent leaders. In addition to leading dynamic team retreats, which I've personally experienced, Rusty has embarked on a new initiative called Teams Made Well, a documentary series that follows some very successful teams to learn how they operate with excellence. He's produced several documentaries in that series now that we will hear more about today. Originally from West Virginia, Rusty became a history major at Grove City College, who got more involved with theater productions, orientation board, club lacrosse, and the Crons Housing Group. And after some amazing experiences with ranching out west, which I can't wait to hear about, uh, he landed at Windshape Teams in 2010. He's married to Becca, and they have two children, a son, Dawson, who's 10 years old, and a daughter, Ella, age 8. And they currently live in Rome, Georgia, where Windshape Teams is headquartered. Rusty, I'm so excited to have you on this podcast today and to have you and your whole team back here at Grove City College to conduct another team retreat that I get to be part of this week. So it's really, really great to see you again. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. It has been so fun to be back on campus, and uh, it's a pleasure to sit down and talk with you for a few minutes as well. Well, I do appreciate your time, and I know our alumni will be blessed to hear more about what you do every day. Tell us what brought you to Grove City College in the first place. You know, I uh, was living in Southern West Virginia at the time when I was in high school in Bluefield. And as I began the college search, my youth pastor had attended Grove City when he was in college. And so he had been trying to get someone to come up to Grove City for years. And the seed that he planted in me grew as I thought about it. And when I was on my college tour, I visited a few campuses. But really what happened at Grove City was very simple. I walked on campus for my tour. I looked around and I said, I think I could be that guy. You know, I just saw myself here in the faces of the students who were already on campus. It felt very like home. It just seemed like the place for me. So I applied early decision and was accepted. And then it was straight on from there. And as a student here then in the early 2000s, who was it that you formed relationships with and who was most influential during your time here? You know, I really look back on my freshman year and I do want to just note the importance of orientation board. That first impression is so important. And from that moment, I felt so welcome. And that continued moving into Memorial Dorm, as many freshmen will remember. And it was my RAs that year that really uh, created a great impression on me that stuck for a long time. Uh, Drew Hoagland and Tim Hilterman were their names. And they, uh, on, on third floor Memorial, and they really... Um, 
helped me through that first year and, and created relationships with me so much so that they invited me to be a roommate with them my sophomore year in the dorm that we were in, the palace. And that was a really powerful relationship that I had with them. And I really appreciated their investment in me. And they took that role very seriously. And that was, that was a real blessing. I also think about professors. You know, I had some professors a lot of times because I was a history major. And two names that really stood out were Dr. Gary Smith and Dr. Gillis Harp. And both of those men were uh, challenging to me. They, they, they challenged me to work hard and to learn, to apply myself. And they, they held me accountable in, in the classroom in a great way. But they also really uh, piqued my curiosity and gave me a love for learning and for the truth, which was really powerful. So it sounds like with all those things that, that I read about in the beginning that you were, you were involved with, uh, Orientation Board being one of them, that you just had a, a really stellar four years here. And then you graduated and you went out west. <laughs> what was that about and how did that happen? And, and really tell us some about the transition from being a rancher to what you do now at Windshape Teams. Yes. And I don't know how many students had this same experience, but I, I was preparing to graduate. I had studied teaching at Grove City. And I had done my student teaching, and I just didn't feel that I was quite ready to pursue that profession. My student teaching experience uh, left me with some questions about whether that was right for me. And as I thought that through, another uh, student here, Sarah Hauser, uh, had worked at a ranch in Colorado as a summer job. And she shared with me, if you're not sure what next, why not try this? And so really, just as a time to, to gather my thoughts and see what God had for me, I went for a summer job in Colorado at a guest ranch. And ultimately, it captured my heart, and I stayed for a year and a half, so five seasons there. I transitioned from that. I did do a year of teaching school and confirmed that while I was really thankful for the foundation that laid for me and all that I learned there, that that probably wasn't God's calling for my life. And so from there, I went back to Colorado to another guest ranch. Uh, That felt like a place I could grow. And I spent two and a half years there, uh, serving as a wrangler, a mountain bike guide, a ski guide, a head wrangler, but really much more than the specific tasks I did there. It was a time where God formed in me a love for hospitality, a love for creating experiences for people, and uh, really uh, creating opportunities for recreation in people's lives through experience. From there, I, I transitioned out when the time had come. It's been a short time in Nashville and then found my way to Windshape in 2010. My parents live in Rome, Georgia, where Windshape is headquartered. And through some connections there and my, my previous experience, I joined the team and that's been my home ever since. That is amazing. And as I, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, that Windshape, the foundation, has these five arms, which I hope you'll describe for us a little bit. And Windshape Teams is one of those, but that they, it was established by the Kathy family, um, from Chick-fil-A. So tell us some about that connection and, um, and just kind of more about what you do at Windshape Teams. So Trua and Jeanette Cathy, who you mentioned many would know as the founders of Chick-fil-A, also founded Windshape. It's on the campus of Barry College, if anyone's heard of that. And uh, Truett, uh, went on a visit there, uh, was uh, made aware of an opportunity where there were some areas of the campus that weren't being fully utilized anymore. They had outused their, outlived their usable life in their previous form. He saw an opportunity, and he was all about unexpected opportunities. And so he sees that and formed a college college ministry there where he developed leaders uh, in that program. And from there, Windshape grew to have a summer camp. So you mentioned there are five arms. Windshape has Windshape College Program, Windshape Camps, Windshape Marriage that invests in couples, 
uh, Winship Teams, which is where I work, and then Winship Homes, which is a foster care program uh, for kids. And so Truett had a, a very generous heart. He and his wife, Jeanette, they are uh, known for, Jeanette's known for saying when she stepped on that campus there, she said, Truett, we're standing on holy ground. And from there, we really believe God has used that place over the years to serve many people. And then now it's expanding well beyond the campus there. The foundation's purpose is to glorify God by creating experiences that transform. And so we try to do that in many different ways. And Winship Teams is just one of those. Well, it seems like from what you described about your ranching work earlier, that it grew this love of hospitality and helping give people these transformational experiences that God set you up completely, uh, purposefully with the work he started you out doing and then bringing you to Winshape Teams where you get to do exactly that through the work that you do with organizations and teams, helping them to be better, to be more effective, but to to truly care for uh, the members of the team and, and all of that. So um, tell us a little bit more about kind of what a, a day is like for you at Winshape and, and the types of entities that you work with. Yes. So really, Winshape Teams, uh, as a part of the foundation, focuses on team and leadership development. So our core purpose is to build strong, healthy, fulfilling teams that change the world around them. And we really have a vision for what teams can be and what the team experience can be. And so we work with uh, individuals. uh, We work with intact teams. We work with larger departments and all around the concept of healthy teaming. That often, uh, there are really three primary ways we do that. Uh, Team retreats, leadership summits, which are kind of open enrollment experiences, and then one-to-one coaching. And in the midst of that, you're looking for any way you can help uh, an individual have an experience that brings about some sort of revelation, some new awareness. And then we try to help guide them toward how they can take action on that new awareness And then that action can lead to change or transformation. And sometimes that's on a very small micro scale. And sometimes that's on a a really big scale. We do that with teams from all industries. So that might be churches or nonprofits, small businesses, teams from corporations, really the the demographic uh, changes, but uh, is very wide. But we find that the needs are oftentimes very similar in each of those places. Anytime anyone is working with someone else, there's a teaming process taking place. And so the principles and the, uh, the truths that we work with are really applicable to relationships. And then we kind of just extrapolate that out to teams, uh, big and small. It seems natural that you would have carried further your knowledge of teams and, and wanting to help as many people as possible by branching into something new. And that was what we had mentioned before, uh, which is the documentary process that you've started. Um, you did you did one. Um, it was in 2018. Is that correct? The first one you did? We began filming in 2018. Yes. Okay. And that was the, the documentary that's called For the Team. And that's where you followed um, Team Avaya, which is the New Zealand National Adventure Racing Team, which interestingly, I had, I had seen them featured on a different show, like on Amazon Prime one time, and was so impressed with the prowess of these athletes, but also the dynamic of how they work together. And so you investigated that uh, in your first documentary. Tell us some about that. Yes, Joni, thanks. That's been a, such a special project for me in my tenure at Windshape. I, I look back on that particular film as one of the absolute highlights of my time there for a variety of reasons. Um, I adventure race as a hobby. Uh, if you watch the documentary, please don't uh, imagine that I am doing what they are doing. <laughs> I am uh, a very junior in my my hobbyist approach, but it was a very special project. It began as an idea 
you know, we're always looking for new ways to serve teams. How can we help team members and teams find uh, uh, additional strength and fulfillment in what they do? Uh, we believe that teams are best when their purposes are accomplished and their people are fulfilled, and that's what we're seeking. And one of the ways that we thought it would be valuable to do that would be to show people healthy teams and just give them an example of what it looks like, both for inspiration you know, to put something out in front that we can aspire to, but also for information to say, how do they do it? What makes them great? And so uh, we had a team member who ideated uh, a series called Teams Made Well, where we would look behind the scenes of high-performing teams. And the initial idea were these short five to seven-minute um, interview-based vignettes where we would have some B-roll of what they do, but then really get answers and questions and kind of move forward. And so then the next question became, how do we find a team? And we, we didn't really know. And I said, well, I'm into adventure racing. And there is a team based in New Zealand that is the best in the world. They've won the world championships, you know, uh, many years in a row. They dominate the scene. Boy, wouldn't that be great? Now, I had no connection to them, but I knew their captain's name was Nathan Fave. He was sort of a legend in the sport. And so I went online and he had a website. And so I emailed him and I wow. said, we would love to tell your story. And he wrote me back and said, let's talk. And somehow through his kindness and graciousness, that led to several uh, months later, us landing in Reunion Island off the coast of Madagascar to meet him and his team for the first time at the 2018 Adventure Racing World Championships. And we followed them uh, there. And that's really how it all began. That's amazing. I think I need to meet your ideator so that I can, uh, you know, hitch a flight to New Zealand next yes. time with you. <laughs> yeah. I would love that. Well, for our listeners today, we're here with Rusty Chadwick, class of 2004. He's been talking to us about wind-shaped teams and his work as the director there. And we will be right back to hear a lot more from Rusty. Did you know the Grove City College Office of Alumni and College Relations hosts and sponsors events across the country and around the world each year? From smaller Grover gatherings in alumni homes to a Pittsburgh Pirates spring training game in sunny Bradenton, Florida, and mixers at up-and-coming startups like Pittsburgh-based and alumni-founded Gecko Robotics to domestic and international travel trips to unique destinations like Egypt, Alaska, and the European holiday markets, Grovers connect and celebrate the college throughout the year. If you're interested in attending an event, visit alumni.gcc.edu backslash events to learn more. You can also inquire about hosting an event in your home or around your area by emailing us at alumni at gcc.edu. Can't wait to see you soon. And welcome back to Mid the Pines podcast. I'm here with alumnus Rusty Chadwick, class of 2004. He's the director of the Windshape Teams, uh, which is part of Windshape Foundation. And we were just talking a few minutes ago, Rusty, about your first documentary that's called For the Team. You got this awesome trip to New Zealand to interview Nathan Fave and his whole team uh, of adventure racers. So tell us what that was like. You know, I mentioned it was one of the most favorite projects I've had at Windshape. And so uh, we landed in Reunion Island. Uh, that's where we began. So New Zealand, we went, to the, we went to New Zealand later, but we started in Reunion Island. And the, we did not have a plan to go to New Zealand at that time. The team had graciously agreed to give us a day to interview them prior to the race. And then we were going to follow them on the race course as best we could. So for those who may not be familiar with adventure racing, it is a, uh, a multidiscipline sport. It typically includes trekking, paddling, bicycling, and then a number of other things can be thrown in. 
And it's all done by navigation with map and compass. The uh, objective of the race is to get from start to finish in a given amount of time, all with human power. And you have a map and compass and you're uh, accumulating a series of checkpoints along the way. At the world level, these races can be five, six, seven days long. And the clock, uh, for the most part, doesn't stop. So teams often race day and night. So it's a very grueling endurance sport, just to give a little context. And so when we interviewed the team and we followed them, we didn't really know what to expect, but the truths that they shared were so powerful as we watched them that on the flight home, I, the film crew and I talked and we said, we cannot make a five to eight minute vignette. We have to tell, we, we have to do justice to the story and dig into the richness of what this team has done and been. And that led us to, to go to New Zealand to get the rest of the story. And in talking with them, we learned uh some of what we had already seen to be true in other teams, but we saw it so powerfully displayed. And probably one of the largest takeaways that I saw, at that level, you can expect that team members are coming in with talent and skills and preparation. And many of them bring that. But what set Team Ovea apart was they had a genuine commitment to caring for each other. And oftentimes when we think of professional athletes performing, we don't necessarily think of care or service to one another being the critical component that sets them apart. But in our observations of them, in our interviews with them, and in our interviews with other team members talking about them, that stood out as one of the top distinguishers. That was probably one of the largest takeaways that you see on display in the film and that we learned from them in our interactions. Right. And have you been able to implement that that really great lesson then uh, into some of your, your other team coaching opportunities and team retreats and things? Just that notion of, of care, like genuine care and concern for those around you and kind of selflessness, really. Like you're, when you have that, you're putting yourself last and you're saying those on the team with me are critically important. I need to serve them as much as I serve my own interests. So have you been able to like build that in even strong, more strongly? Yes. I mean, that was, that was certainly an aspect of team and leadership development that we have valued for a long time. And so it was already present. But I think when we saw it on display there, it was another example of how to apply it in the real world. And since then, it certainly caused us to double down on that approach. And so when we talk about servant leadership, servant teamsmanship, uh, we we believe, and this has been proven in other research that we didn't do, that that commitment to community and building community takes uh, potential teams or real teams and can launch them into high-performing teams. And that's uh, that's what we're after. I know that that documentary, like you said, was was life-changing really for you and, and as far as being part of your career. But the cool thing is that you didn't stop there. And you got to film another documentary, and that was following Joe Gibbs' NASCAR team. So I know that hasn't launched yet, and we'll look forward to seeing that very soon. I know it's going to be early 2023, right? When that's, that, the hope. When that's yes. coming out. Um, but when I met you last summer, you had, you know, your team had just finished filming that one. So tell us a little bit about what you were seeing differently in that team. Yes, it is interesting to think about the difference of the context. So in adventure racing, it really is one intact four-person team working together towards a common goal. And there's so much to extrapolate from that in our own work and lives. In NASCAR, in studying the pit crews, there were a couple of thoughts there. One is they're a little bit of the unsung heroes. And the film really, we discovered that in the process that pit crew members are elite athletes in and of themselves. They train extensively for their to perform. And when you think about shaving time off of a pit stop, the impact that can have for a driver on the race course is, is pretty profound. 
pickers not only have to be able to serve and work together as a unit themselves, but they're also working as a part of a larger team that includes a driver and, you know, and all the other components of a NASCAR organization and team with sponsors and others. And so there's a, a unique dynamic there that, that's different. They're also, you know, the, the type of event they're doing is different. And so they're really chasing faster in a different way than uh, an adventure racing team would be over the course of, you know, days and days on a race course. They're looking to gain fractions of a second that can then have a, have a huge impact. Uh, so the context is different, but many of, the, of the, the principles are also very similar. So you see a lot of those come out in, in the same way. That's that's so cool to to think about, like taking the the one experience you had in New Zealand and um, seeing that in a in almost through a different lens, you know, yes. just with this different type of team. And that does extrapolate, like you said, to teams of all types. We might all, you know, on the teams that we're in, whether our employer or a group we volunteer with or even at our church or things like that, um, we, we may find some truths you know, from from both of those scenarios, and um, the the one that you just mentioned, that the minutest, smallest detail, you know, that one person handles, can have such a trickle down effect on t- to the whole team, to the whole goal that they're trying to reach, that you can't neglect that person, you know, or that function that they do, and uh, I think that speaks a lot to just valuing people, and 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 that goes back to your your thought about care and concern for the community and for all of its members, all the team's members. Uh, I think there's so much depth here that that we could learn about. Um, I'm just truly fascinated with the life that you lead and the, you know, the films and, and, and fun experiences that you've had, but all in the name of doing something that makes an impact in our world. But I do want to ask you on a personal level, uh, just getting to be part of these amazing experiences. Uh, what was that like for you? Um, in, I'm thinking in, in Reunion Island or New Zealand or those places, did you um, encounter anything dangerous or did you get hurt at all? Or, you know, what, what were some of those moments that, that you might, you know, have kind of burned into your memory? Yes. Well, uh, certainly on the first documentary for the team, when we were filming in uh, Reunion Island, I think that we did not know what to expect when we were trying to follow an elite world-class adventure racing team on a <laughs> foot paddling and bike race across the country uh, or the island to uh, how were we going to do that, practically speaking, which uh, it, it ended up involving us trying to navigate a camper van around the island using minimal cell service to track a dot to see where they were and then try to encounter them. I do recall one particular moment where the race had been going on for about 24 hours. And the context here, the first leg of that race was uh, a trek that they had been on for over 24 hours already. And so this was, uh, I believe it was 8,000 meters of elevation gain. If that's not right, we'll have to double check that. But I think that's right, which is, you know, 24,000 feet. And so this is an extensive grueling trek. And so we were trying to figure out how to connect with this team that we barely knew where they were. So we parked our camper van. We slept for an hour or two. At one in the morning, we got up, climbed up a mountain to intersect where we thought they would be. And sure enough, they came and, and we saw their headlights coming along the ridge. We connected with them and they then they went into a hut and took a nap for an hour. So we waited and then joined them to hike and film them as they summited the Paton de Ne, which is the largest, highest point in the Indian Ocean, the highest mountain on the island. And we got to do that at sunrise. So as the sun came up, 
we had our cameras and you can see in the film, there's an interview with Nathan going up this climb and we summited with them with a GoPro on the top of this mountain and then ran back down with our drone following them. It was, it was kind of an epic moment of the trip as the sun was rising. Then they went off their way and we went to sleep, sleep and have a snack at our van. I was going to say, and the music swells. Yes, exactly. I I can just see in the documentary because I have watched it and I I highly recommend that our, our viewers watch it too. It's like, it's like 35, 37 minutes, something like that. Yes. That's a, that's a great moment, man. What a, what a mountaintop moment, so to speak, right? Yes. An adventure in and of itself. That's right. But we don't want to forget the, the reason that you did that and the reason that you went there, which was really to study an excellent team and to relay to the rest of us what makes that team tick, what makes that team work. So what are some of the most powerful truths that you have learned about what makes a great team? Well, I think we've touched on a couple of them, and I'll just kind of highlight them again to, to point them out. But I think that when we talk about a healthy team, we are looking at teams where the purpose is accomplished and the people are fulfilled. And if you think about your team experiences, if you have one of those things and not the other, it's typically not going to be very healthy. And quite frankly, it probably won't last very long. So if we're getting a lot of things done, but everyone is feeling unfulfilled or disengaged, then those results won't last because we'll burn out. No one's going to want to be a part of that. So the key is to be sustainably successful. And that was really what initially drew us to the adventure racing team, because we could look back and see they had a, a history and track record of sustained success and high performance. So if the purpose is accomplished, but the people aren't fulfilled, that won't be the case. If the people are feeling engaged and fulfilled and having a great time, but we're not getting much done, then somebody's probably not going to let that happen for very long. Right. And really, people probably won't be fulfilled very long either if they're not accomplishing results because we have a desire to you know, see our work amount to something, to, to bear fruit, to have impact. But when both of those things are true, then we really get to a great place. I think if we leave one out, it's probably the people fulfilled peace in the workplace. We get very focused on tasks. And that probably leads me to the second insight that I would share, which we mentioned earlier, which was the demonstration of genuine care. Teams that are strong and healthy are demonstrating genuine care. Uh, We observed in the adventure racing team countless examples of sacrifice on one person's behalf for the good of the team. A separation of a me-first mindset to, to replace it with a team-first mindset. And that genuine care really produces um, a contagious environment of sacrifice and, and, and love and care that, that drives performance. And so that's definitely true. And we've applied that as, as best as we can in our own team. And we try to create rhythms that foster that. And also, that's what we teach others. Another piece of that uh, that we've seen is that the team members exhibit a, a balanced or a, a complete uh, approach that, that includes personal excellence and sacrificial service. So that means each member recognizes that first I have to do what I've been given to do. My piece has to be here and done to the best of my ability. And sometimes that can be hard if you think of a, a team or group environment. Sometimes if we're in our weakness or we're not uh, applying ourselves well, we can try to hide in the group environment and that limits our, our desire to perform personally with excellence. So, so that's true. But then we're also looking beyond our own roles to sacrifice for others. And then finally, one other thing I would say that we have seen, and this didn't come from us, but a, a mentor of ours and a friend named Mark Miller. He is uh, a vice president at Chick-fil-A and been a friend of Windshape Teams for many years. And he wrote a book called The Secret of Teams. And in that, he was studying high-performance teams and what makes them uh, uh, high-performing. And in that, he really presents that it's a combination of talent, skills, and community. 
that when you have talent, skills, and community together, that produces high-performing results. And that's really what we have seen as well. And if you think about the adventure racing team, that was confirmed. They had talented individuals who had developed skills, and they worked to build community through genuine care, and that set them apart. And I know you saw that as well uh, in the NASCAR documentary that's coming out too. Exactly. Yes, you see, you see those those pieces. The relationships are there. They they go and recruit talent and bring people on the team, and they train skills with regularity. Well, and it sounds like the the book by Mark Miller uh, was particularly uh, inspirational and has been formative for you and your team at Windshape. But you also have co-authored a book, and it's called Teamwork, 13 Timeless Principles for Creating Success and Fulfillment as a Team Member. Now, I found it interesting that this book really focuses on team members when in our world today, we see so many books that are always geared toward leaders. And leadership development is is a wonderful thing, and it's much needed as well. But I really loved that you focused in your book on how to be a great team member. Um, I would like to know, based on you know what you've what you found out and written in your book, um, what is a common mistake that team members make that can impact whether they have a positive experience being part of a team or a negative one? Yeah, the first one that comes to mind is really the reason that we wrote the book in the first place, and you touched on it. There's so much out there for leaders. And I think sometimes as team members, we can fall into the trap of looking to the leader or someone else on the team to drive the culture, solve the problems, and create the change. So there's the sense that, well, I'm just a team member, so what can I really control? If I was the leader, I could, uh, or if only the leader would. And what we've really seen is there's a very important shift that can take place in a team member's mind from if only someone else would to what can I do to create the outcome I wish to see. Uh, in our study of teams, you know, I've, I've mentioned, uh, I guess, the, the adventure racing team a number of times, but Stuart Lynch, who's a member of that team and has won multiple world championships, uh, he said to us when we were interviewing him, we said, what makes a great teammate? And he said, well, first, he said, this is going to sound a little unusual, but first, you have to be a little bit selfish. And what he meant by that was, if you don't take care of yourself, then we have to spend the whole time taking care of you, and that's not helpful. So make sure that you're coming in doing your part. But then he went on to say, and I've captured this and really tried to apply it in every area of my life. He said, a great teammate needs to ask themselves as they're walking along, am I currently doing everything I can be doing to ensure we are getting a good result. And that one question, I think, is a powerful thing team members can ask themselves in an ongoing way all the time. I think about that in my role as a husband, as a father. And so we take that to a team member. If we're always looking to the leader to fix the problem or create change or someone else on the team to do that, it's very disempowering. We feel like the team's culture is what it is unless someone else changes it a very external locus of control. And so I think that teams who are successful have members who are able to say, I'm going to focus on what I can control. And if I can't control it, what can I influence? I can at least influence something that moves us towards the result I want to see. And if everybody's doing that, the change we can create is, is very powerful. And that's, that's probably one of the, the main underlying themes of, of the book itself. I think as we all look into this about being a team member, and maybe we're a team leader too in some realms, and so it's important to to look at that. But um, I think those light bulb moments where we can really learn something about ourselves 
and implement it. Like you said, you've you've implemented a lot from Mark Miller's book, and um, you know you've you've taken that thought from from Stuart from the racing team about what am I doing uh, to impact our success right now? How am I serving this team with my best ability right now? Um, I think we all need those light bulb moments. What would you think would be um, a light bulb moment, so to speak, for um, any any team to to really begin to acknowledge or realize about itself? Like, what is what is one of those things that you, as a as a team educator, as a team developer, really, what is it that you hope all teams would really begin to kind of take a hard look at? One is I would hope that teams walk away from an experience of development or reflection with a bigger vision of what is possible for their team. Mm -hmm. I think too often it's easy to settle with, this is just how work is. You know, working with people is just this way. Working with people is hard. Um, uh, You know, we all have those, those kind of patterns that we can fall into. And I think that too often we can we can just settle in that and say, this is just what it's going to be. But there is so much more. Teams can be an incredibly rewarding experience. Even if you think about, if you've ever watched, I think, a baseball World Series championship, it's a great place to see it. The minute that last out happens, the first thing that takes place is all of those baseball team members flood out of the dugout, run from the outfield, and they jump into a massive huddle and pile because they're so proud to have done this together. Relationships are so fulfilling when done well. And uh, so I would, I would love for teams to have the light bulb moment that just says there is more available to us in this team than just the status quo or muddling through getting the best I can get out of this. I think a secondary piece that I think is related A light bulb for individual team members is the moment where they see a team is only as strong as the individual members. And so my health, uh, my contribution is what creates this team's success and health as well. And so if I come in with an expectation that the team will serve me, uh, or if I have an an entitled personnel approach that says, hey, I'm going to take from this team and get what I need. Or another step would be, hey, while in the midst of this team, I don't know if I can trust it as being a vehicle for my success. And so I'm going to just get mine done and take care of me. And then the rest can kind of fall where it does. But when we see that my health and contribution is actually a key component of our health, we all win or none of us do. Right. And each of us pouring into that creates that. That's contagious. And that that's that's kind of circular. And so it just grows and grows. And that rising tide lifts our team. So it's not going to happen in this nebulous team thing where the team is just going to get better. I have to get better. You have to get better. And in doing so, we get better and we sharpen each other. And that's a, a real revelation that I think can be powerful for a lot of people. Right. Personal responsibility, I think, really is is part of that. It's realizing what I contribute, but also what I might be doing that could be dragging the team down. Yes. And being willing to take that hard look at yourself and have a light bulb moment personally. Yes. Uh, and then applying that that knowledge to making the team better and helping them grow yes. as well. What you've shared is is really just so important. And I believe anybody, uh, any of our listeners, whether they are just leading their children at home as a stay-at-home mother or you know, part of their church and leading a Bible study, or maybe they're leading in a Fortune 500 company, whatever that looks like. Um, I do think that there are some real uh, wins 
to pausing and taking a breath, um, there's some value, I think, into taking a hard look at the teams that we're part of and then how we can work to make them better. What's next on the horizon for you? And just before I say that, I just want to highlight, uh, Joni, I really appreciate your word there that it applies to so many contexts because sometimes we can think uh, this is only a work thing, but families are teams. Marriages are teams. We serve marriages uh, regularly at our, when you know, Winshape Marriage serves marriages all the time and we get to work with them a lot. And there's so much to unpack there. And uh, many of us have experienced times in those relationships where they're not all, we know they're not all they can be, all God has for us in that. And so there's so much power there. So appreciate you highlighting that because it's so applicable in all areas of our life and any team we're on in any sphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what's next? Yes. So no other documentaries on the horizon, though you mentioned earlier. And so this is kind of on the horizon. The Joe Gibbs Pit Crew NASCAR documentary is uh, almost finished and uh, it's in the final editing stages and working out some of the last minute details. So we do hope that'll release this spring. And we are really excited for that. It's a fresh look. Um, it's a it's it's a fast paced. It's energetic. And it's uh, and NASCAR is a is a big sport. And there's a lot to see there. And Joe Gibbs has certainly had a, a long um, a life of contribution and their team brings a lot of value. So that is on the horizon. We are really looking for any ways that we can help team members discover more fulfilling and purposeful work. Right now, one thing for our team that that means is looking at how to invest in online content. So this year, our team's developing an online course, probably based on teamwork, the book. Still uh, finalizing some thoughts on that. But looking at ways to go beyond the in-person experience and augment that with development that can happen outside of the classroom. We do, I've read others, seen others say and heard others say that a change of place and a change of pace equals a change of perspective. I think it's a really valuable quote and a really valuable truth. And so we do believe in the value of getting away. But sometimes that's just not possible or practical. Or in between those experiences, how can we find things to invest in that can support us in an ongoing way? And so the digital content gives us that freedom to increase accessibility and opportunity for follow-up, et cetera. So that's kind of on the horizon for us as well. It's just so neat to see um, all the all the ways that you've used the gifts that God's given you and how he's wired you to to be very in tuned with um, this kind of education. You said that you had done that the education major. I know you're a history major, but then you were kind of parlaying that into teaching history. It, you're still teaching people, Rusty. I know you know that, but um, I, I just think it's really amazing that that you have just taken what God's given you and you have turned it into um, really uh, you know, impactful, uh, meaningful work in mm. the in lives of others and and the teams that they're part of. So uh, I'm really proud of you. Your alma mater is proud of you, of course. And we're we're thankful that you took a few minutes today to to talk with us and just share more about Winshape Teams and and all that you have been tackling. I would like to ask for you to share um, if any listeners out there would like to engage with Winshape Teams to either have a retreat for their team or to bring you on site, uh, or if they're interested in any other arm of the Winshape Foundation, how can they get in touch with you and what's the best way for them to to reach out? For us specifically at Winshape Teams, our website is, is very simple, www.winshapeteams.org. And all the information about our programs is there. As you mentioned, we can come to people. We're here at Grove City now, mm-hmm. and uh, folks can come to us as well. There are coaching opportunities there, which are done virtually, so that's that's there. Uh, we also have a website, 
teamworkbook.co, which is where they can find more information about the book that we mentioned, uh, uh, Teamwork. And that can also be found uh, many other places. But just Windshape Foundation's website is really valuable as well. If someone is listening and they're, they would love to see some enrichment in their marriage uh, or they have kids that want to go to summer camp, uh, or uh, uh, they have a child interested in uh, uh, in other programs that might be a part of that. There's a lot of things to see there and do, and, and Windshape would love to be a resource. It's been great to be here. It's really fun to see. You mentioned the full circle, the investment that people made in me during my time at Grove City. I can absolutely see how it is bearing fruit now. And we don't we don't always get to see the return on those investments. I know professors probably especially experience that. They pour into so many students and they don't get to see all the fruits. And I'm so grateful for that. Not only the the academic and the experiences here, but also the Christ-centered education that's formed a foundation in me that's still playing fruit today. I, I really am so thankful. Well, and we're thankful to have you and and to be the recipients of the the fruit that you're bearing uh, just in the work that you've done with our own team here. And we hope that uh, you've inspired us. I know you have to um, build our team stronger, to serve alumni like yourself even better, and to pour back into this great institution of Grove City College. So I'm really thankful for you, Rusty. Thank you for spending time with us mid the pines. Thank you so much. Glad to be here, Joni. Thanks for your time. Home is where everything Thank you for listening to the Mid the Pines podcast. Explore more episodes at alumni.gcc.edu slash podcast. Our co-producers are Joni Baumgartner and Amy Evans. Research provided by Janice Zinsner Inman, class of 1987. Audio editing is provided by Jennifer Hiles. Our theme music is Home, courtesy of the family of the late David M. Bailey, class of 1988. Contact us at alumni.gcc.edu for more information. We hope you'll join us again, Mid the Pines.